Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. I'm Will Mellard and today I'm joined by Helen Chorley, Investor. Helen, you're very welcome. Thanks, Will. Lovely to, lovely to be here. I've listened to some previous episodes with um, my good friend Adam Lawrence and some of your other guests, so delighted to be here. You're an esteemed company. So, uh, <laughs> so, so Helen, um, what, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, Helen Chorley, My Property World. So, so we're going to tell the story uh, from the beginning um, of uh, how you've ended up in the position you are now. So um, where did it all begin? Well, I think you can hear from my accent that I'm I'm northern. Um, so yeah, grew up in between Liverpool and Manchester. Um, and wow. Um, so where are we talking? Wigan, St Helens. St Helens, Wigan. Oh, that's like <laughs> so rugby like league territory. Proper rugby league country. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> So yeah, my, my parents are, are season ticket holders. They are they are big big fans. Um, so now I do try and get to those matches when I'm home as well. So yeah, I grew up there. Um, Northern, comprehensive, educated. You know, no silver spoon here, but um, proper Northern values as well. Like I had ten bank accounts by the age of ten. So I guess maybe it was always inevitable I was going to end up in finance or something money related maybe um but yeah lived there my my whole life till I went to university I went to Oxford and um studied politics philosophy economics there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and I'd kind of had it drilled into me from my parents and my grandparents about you know getting on the property ladder, buying your first property as soon as you can. And literally, um, as, as soon as I could, when I got to London, so, you know, um, I yeah put down my deposit on my first flat. And literally, it was, I mean, God, if you, you could have swung a mouse in it, I think, like, not, not a cat, it was tiny. <laughs> it wasn't Covent Garden, so it was an amazing location. Um, and actually, I specifically chose that location because... Um, I, I started my career at J.P. Morgan. I was in investment banking. And, um, so you came yeah, out so of Oxford, went to London, into J.P. Morgan, and, yeah. and you've got your first flat, central London. Yeah. Um, it, it's the size of a shoebox, but it, it's in prime <laughs> central London. Yeah? Yeah, it was an amazing location. Actually, recently when I was back in London, I went to the Nomad Hotel, which is what they've made out of Bow Street Magistrates Court. It's straight opposite the Opera House. And my flat was straight behind there. So I was looking up like, oh my God, this is my old haunt here. 
So yeah, it was an amazing location, but I chose that because I could walk to work. I could be at work in five minutes um, because we started work at, at six o'clock in the morning. We had to be on the trading floor at the desk, ready to go at six o'clock in the morning. And one day we, we took it in turns to do five, a five o'clock start because we had to gather all the information, process all the data, all the numbers, all the news that had happened overnight in Asia and be ready and brief the rest of the team ready to go at, at six. So yeah, I wanted a minimal commute. <laughs> and, and so uh, that, that's, I imagine quite a change because uh, that, that's a long way from uh, either St. Helens or Oxford uh, at university. Yeah, it was. Given, a shock given to how the I, system? Oh my God, huge. Like talk about, you know, not knowing yourself. Somebody who is not a morning person to go in and start in a graduate job where you start at 6am and literally, you know, I take three coffees before my brain wakes up. It still does, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So yeah, never schedule a, a, a meeting first thing with me in the morning. <laughs> so, and, uh, and out of interest, uh, what, what was the price of this one bed at that time? Uh, that was, I think I paid 200,000, but this thing was literally maybe, gosh, I didn't kind of look, I didn't even know what a floor plan necessarily was those days. This thing was, I'm going to call it, I mean, like studio size. If it was 300 square foot, that's probably been, been a little oh, On generous. a good day, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it had been actually designed by an architect. So it was very cleverly done. The use of space was amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I really did appreciate that. But the kitchen wasn't even like a full kitchen. Literally, you stepped forward and the kitchen was around you like that. That mm -hmm. was the size of the kitchen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it probably wasn't yet even 300 square foot, as I say. And so working in the city, uh, there's, there's a lot going on in London, uh, even in quieter times. Um, yeah. What, what was that like as a, as a young person? Uh, you, you've got a bit of money in your pocket. You're, uh, you've, got, you've got a, you know, a big team. That there's lots going on. What, what were you into at that stage? Oh, I'd been itching to get to London since I was a teenager, probably. All the magazines, you know, that I used to read growing up, I don't know, Clothes Show magazine and all that, I don't know, like smash hits from smash hits everything was always about oh you can get this in this shop in london and you can do this in london i'm like oh my god i just need to be in london um so i always kind of knew that was where i'd end up straight out of university um and it and it was very full-on it was very I, I to be honest i'd actually wanted to go to lse to study mm -hmm. that's what i'd wanted to do but i was the first person in my family to go to university wow and I got an offer, um, an offer from Oxford, and you know, what do you what do you say to that? So, so that's where I went. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was super. It was very full on. We were out every night, you know. And actually, this this three hundred square foot flat would you know would be would be a glorified camping ground for us all going out in Covent Garden, come back, everybody just grab a space on the floor and get up and go to work again the next day. So right, right. it was great at that age, you know, early twenties, you can do that right every night, carry on. But um, definitely. And, and what about the, the work environment? Investment banking uh, tends to be pretty aggressive, pretty transactional, uh, very, you know, uh, testosterone fuel. Yeah. 
yeah, I think when I started, there was uh, probably like five women on the trading floor. So five out of a hundred of us or so. So, um, and, and yeah, actually I was in, in banking for kind of 11 years and the, those numbers didn't change that much. They did get better towards the end, but it was still, obviously you're in the minority, but, and you do have to, you're right. I think you do have to be a particular kind and you have to know that, that you are and that you will thrive in that environment. But being from a rugby town, and uh, my college at Oxford actually was well known as a rugby college. The male to female ratio there was, I think, four guys to a girl and like the ratio. And mm-hmm. yeah, grew up with an older brother. So I was always used to that, that type of energy. And no, I absolutely, I loved it. It was hard work. It was intense. It was and, literally. And, and staying, staying in investment banking for a, a mm. decade is actually quite unusual. Uh, like, yeah. like the, the people... Uh, like the fact that you got out at that point um, is, is a lucky escape, I would say. Oh, yeah. And I was at the same place the whole time. So people do kind of like move around a lot, chase the money. But um, but no, we, we merged with Chase in 2000. So we did have a kind of change and a definite change of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked kind of the chats about had two male bosses there again after that merge and I both I liked both of them like you know so much that now I was really really happy to stay and um people ask me like do you miss it I don't miss kind of the intensity and the workload but I miss the people we had some we had a lot of fun a lot of happy memories now now uh, as an investment banker uh it, it's primarily fees driven uh we're uh and in some situations, they're, they're taking a, a principal position. Uh, so it's high stakes stuff, win at all costs. Um, what, what did you learn from that? And, and what did you not like? So I was on the foreign exchange trading for, so, so it wasn't kind of like fees per se, but it was definitely, mm-hmm. definitely margins. Um, but I really, and I, and I started out in sales. So it was very... Um, you know, client, customer driven and understanding what they want and understanding the, you know, what drove each particular kind of client segment. So we had a desk that dealt with hedge funds. We had a desk that dealt with what we called real money. So asset Mm -hmm. managers, fund managers, we had a corporate desk. And, you know, you think, oh, everybody just needs to do kind of foreign exchange transact business. They're doing them all for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand what those reasons are. And that definitely, for me, translates into property investing as well, in terms of when developers are speaking to their investors, they need to get in that mindset and understand what's driving their investors as well, so they Mm -hmm. can tailor their offering accordingly. And, and uh, at, at what point uh, did this this part of the show end? So that was um, just pre-credit crunch. It was 2008. It was okay. spectacular timing, actually. It was almost crystal ball. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, it wasn't for uh, fabulous reasons. I'd had some health challenges since 2006 and being that kind of alpha type I suppose it just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and um, I basically got adrenal burnout and I had no choice but but to leave I I took a leave of absence um, you know thinking I'll I'll you know have a month's rest and then I'll be back 
And um, no, it just, my friends <laughs> basically intervened and told me like, you're going to kill yourself. So you really need to, yeah, step back from this. So that was, um, it, it was, yeah, a real challenge. You know, and, and so you know. this was not a, a pre-planned, uh, like, so So you're suddenly, you're at this point where, right, what am I going to do now? What, what were the okay. options that were going through your mind? <laughs> the only other, the only option was um was was that I could honestly could think about was was regaining like my health I, I had they, they couldn't work out actually what was up with me um it turns out it was chronic fatigue but I just kept I had hypersomnia so I'd like sleep 20 hours a day they thought I had narcolepsy at one point and they put me on these like amphetamine type things to try and keep me awake. And even that didn't work. And actually that was near the end. It was like, right, you're really going to have to take this, this yeah. seriously. Um, so no, so the fo focus for the first two years after I left was um, I literally almost like just slept for two years, more or less, to just regain, you know, some type of, of health and then think about kind of what to do next. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then uh, as you started to recover, um your your networks presumably change through through that period like you're you're in a uh, like a, a focused work group you, you've got uh your circle of friends um what what tends to happen is uh that changes over time what what, what was going on in the background uh network and people wise yeah it was it, it was interesting I, I was very good friends with a lot of people that, that I worked with actually. And um, three, four of my best friends today, girlfriends are people that I worked with. So they've been a consistent through my life. And actually when you're ill and particularly kind of going through a time like that, you know, you really do need your friends and you really find out who your, who, friends, who your are. friends are. <laughs> yeah, you massively do. And actually, especially, especially in 2008, so not, only did I have that happen in 2008, but my fiance at the time worked for Lehman Brothers. Okay, so, okay. <laughs> so we all remember what happened to Lehman Brothers in 2008 as well. So um, yeah, that was that was life changing year for, for both of us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we lost uh, an, an awful lot of, not money, but like equity shares that we had in like tied up in Lehman's and um, you know, that, that drives a lot of what I talk and write about and why I'm very passionate about kind of protecting investors and investors' money these mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. and, and and then um, what, what were the, so uh, there's a, a couple of years recovery, uh, yep. which obviously uh, was, you said was the priority. What, what happened um, between, if you had to sum up the, the following decade or so through, through the, the teens and the, the, the now 20s. Yes. So, you know, even with something like chronic fatigue or adrenal fatigue, you know, your body slows down, but your mind doesn't at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I was still, you know, I, I kind of just been obsessed with property and watching the price action of property. So I always had like spreadsheets mm -hmm. of anything that I owned and what was happening in value and pounds per square foot and looking and just tracking those things and I just had such a passion still for property and actually by that point I'd got you know I'd got some redundancy money and got money behind me from 
from banking as well that we talked about kind of getting a portfolio together <laughs> and doing some kind of proper property investing um and I started to like look at that as a real avenue um I'd also probably by that point made up my mind that or start wanted to change my life wanted to start to gear up to be able to do what I'm doing now live in Malta most of the year travel back and forth but definitely have winters abroad um and I wanted something that would give me the flexibility of that but something that I was hugely passionate about and interested in and you know silly me at the time but but believed some of the things I heard or read about property investing could be passive and I thought great that's me (laughs) hand over my cash jump on a plane sit with a gin and tonic by the beach yeah that's my life sources like yeah I'll, I'll sign up for that (laughs) <laughs> not working out like that how long do, before the penny dropped uh quite quite quickly really yeah. quite quickly when I knew that when, well when from talking to people I knew that I had a different understanding because of my background mm-hmm. I had a different understanding of risk mm-hmm. to what everybody else did and people were doing things making decisions making choices without understanding what risk they were taking and and that scared scared me because in in the JP Morgans of this world and Lehman Brothers, risk is a number. It's a uh, it's a likelihood of loss of capital essentially uh, against the uh, the the capital that's being deployed or potentially yeah. deployed. Absolutely. And we have kind of, you know, specific teams dedicated to that. So you, some some trades are so risky that you have to get permission to do that trade before you can do it. And you've got the client on the end of a phone wanting to do to transact this deal with you in the market. You know, if you think about kind of like cryptocurrencies, like these days, you know, you're watching something go like, you know, up and down in price. You've got a client wanting to transact and you're waiting for the go ahead from somebody in your credit department to say, yes, you can do the deal or no, you can't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, you know, it, it literally it informs every decision you make. Mm. And, and, and that, that advantage, um, you, you must've felt like a walker um, in a goldfish pond. It was it was just a bit scary to be honest. It was you could I, I guess yeah. I just saw things in a different way, and people would talk about you know these amazing track records that they do, and some of it you know was very, very genuine, and some of it you could see that people had just done well because the market was rising. Well, that takes no skill at all, right? Mm. You know anybody could. Geez, I could do that. Um, if you could um, walk and chew gum, you could make money uh, in the early 2000s. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the people that kind of interested me and that I would talk to and certainly listen to more were people that had kind of the longevity in the industry and had seen cycles and had survived them, um, you know, and and didn't have these kind of rose tinted glasses i saw a lot of i still do see a lot of rose tinted glasses which i try and and and, and so uh, how how did you adjust because you've gone from um one of the world's largest financial institutions um where there's teams of people that that are uh are focused on uh building models on on producing numbers on on, yep. on validating uh ideas 
Yeah. So you're back to your own Excel spreadsheet that's reliant <laughs> on information that people are, are saying is correct that may or may not be. How what what was that like as a uh, if you, you take yourself back to that point? I mean, literally, it was and it still is kind of like me and my Excel spreadsheets. And thank God I'm geeky or sad enough that, that I love that stuff. Um, you know, I've been in quarantine a few times this year and that's that's what my quarantine consists of. Right. What Excel spreadsheet can we build, you know, in these two weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I love that stuff, but it is, you know, it, it's very time consuming and draining and there is just just me managing it but it's my money so it's my responsibility mm-hmm. um you know I, I write about that a lot like where does responsibility for these decisions take us through uh, let, let, let's start with what what's the best deal and worst deal you've been involved with and what what what's a uh, typical thing you've done and maybe split it up into the first five years and the next five years Oh, wow. Okay. So best deal and worst deal. I mean, my best deal, I, I, I wouldn't say best deal, like favorite deal. Uh, best, yeah, more favorite deal than best deal because it wasn't necessarily the, the one that gave me the best return, if we're going to judge it that way. Um, mm-hmm. Although it had a decent return, but I just, I liked the developer. Mm-hmm. I, it, it was just one of those, one of those things, like, like all my like boxes, where, where was it? Okay. What was it? Who who was it? If you're allowed to talk about the who, um, uh, yeah, no. And, uh, and when, at what point did you get involved, and what, what what happened? It was a crowdfunding deal, actually, through um, Crowd with us. Um, the developer is still still very good friends with him, Shola Adinaran of Salt Future. So it was the it was a second charge deal. So we were putting debt in rather than equity because. Mm-hmm. The, you know, when you talk about first five years and after that first five years, I'd done a lot of equity deals. Mm-hmm. And you, you've been my, buying shares in the in the limited company and and yeah, exactly. I went as the as the equity provider. And what I'd realized is that talk about risk. What I'd realized is that God bless them, developers aren't necessarily terribly good at judging timing. Mm-hmm. So the, the returns that I was expecting in a kind of, you know, even one was, t- we were told, was six months, <laughs> four years later, still in that one. Don't get me started. Um, but so, you know, a 12-month deal could very easily and did often, more often than not, turn into a two-year or three-year deal. Mm-hmm. Well, your return is, <laughs> is, is now. Yeah, it's the proverbial, uh, it took longer, it's worth less, it cost more. Yeah. Exactly. So what you think was this nice headline 30, 40% return, let me tell you, is in single figures by the time it ends in your bank account. Mm-hmm. And, and I just. And again, you're obviously, in that scenario, in the event that it does all turn to custard, you're behind the, uh, the, the lenders, uh, the mezzanine, the, the second charge. Exactly. exactly. So, so even if there's anything left, then, then, you know, and actually touch wood to date, I've not lost any money on a deal, but there's some challenges at the moment. But so fingers crossed that keeps going. Yeah, but I'm touching wood, I'm touching wood. But again, like people didn't necessarily, certainly other investors didn't necessarily understand that capital stack. Mm-hmm. So that first charge lender gets paid out first, second charge, and then it's your, then it's the equity. Mm-hmm. And everybody's wanting their money back. And it's like, whoa, 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 people. 
And that's why I talk about risk. People didn't necessarily understand the risk that they were taking. Mm -hmm. um, but the point was that I then shifted from, I'm like, I'm getting, you know, not even first charge level returned and I'm taking equity risk. Like, huge mm -hmm. mismatch here. <laughs> this is mm -hmm. this is not my idea of form. This is not a good deal. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I switched then into doing more uh, lending, more debt-based investments. So I did this one with um, Shola down in Tootin. He'd got a great track record already. And mm -hmm. my um, it's proved a bit harder during lockdown, but certainly at that time, I had to meet the developer and I had to see the, the site. I wouldn't make an investment otherwise. Um, and I went down with Rob Wilkinson. We had a good chat with Shola and I just knew he was different. Mm -hmm. He um, actually had a, a, an MA in corporate real estate finance. So that's set him apart already. But also like the way he, he looked at things was very kind of outside of the box. Mm -hmm. And I said to another investor at the time, they still, you know, are you thinking about putting money in this? I said, I am because if or when because it's always a when not an if mm. the proverbial hits the fan he will get us out of this he has that type of mind the way his brain works and has the mm. the experience to be able to to juggle and network mm. and connect and the right yeah the right network to be able to get us out of this and mm -hmm. um it came in actually do you know what he's the only person who's ever repaid early my only deal that's repaid early, which actually as a debt investor, you don't really want. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I would have quite happily uh, stayed in that one a bit longer, but yeah, repaid. But he did what he said he was going to do. You know, mm -hmm. we got updates. Um, the trust was there. He was approachable. He, he just, it was, it was a really great experience. And as I say, we're friends to this day. Very good. Now, now, what type of uh, so is it primarily residential stuff you've been in? Mixed use. What what what's your um... done the whole done the whole remit? But again, I've I've got one of my principles of investing is kind of earn your right to risk. So, for like my very first deal that I did um, was a crowdfunding deal, and I knew that I didn't know what I was doing, so mm -hmm. I put two thousand pounds in. Mm -hmm. And I had a pretty decent pot to be able to play with at that time. And still, like, the minimum investment that I could put in was £2,000. I put in £2,000. It's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to learn. Mm -hmm. And if I miss out on 40% or whatever the projected return was, then, then I miss out on 40%. But at least I'll have learned that was a good investment or that was a bad choice. Mm -hmm. um, and we won't go into which one that was. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but, you know, it was, you know, dip your toe in the water. And I still like to do that, mm -hmm. particularly on my first deal with somebody. Mm -hmm. So once they've proved themselves, once they have done what they said they were going to do, once they have done right by me, and some projects, the project hasn't done well, but the developer has done right by the investors. Mm -hmm. That's what so, I want. So give, give us a quick example of that. Uh, so one with, with the projected, so basically there was a cost overrun on one project mm -hmm. and it was because of some choices that the developer developers had made. Mm -hmm. And um, so the returns to the investors weren't quite as anticipated. So, so you were an equity investor in this? Yeah, I was an equity yeah. investor in that one. 
And we were, I think we were expecting something like 20% return. Um, yeah, something like that. Again, it was one of the earliest, um, earliest investments that I did. And because choices were made and actually the market started to turn and um, the, 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 basically the developers took a haircut on their share or, or, or on their return, should I say, their return and still honoured, still gave us, you know, more than technically so, bilateral so this was a that this was a build to sell or yes, uh, and so yeah. actually it, it was it was it was a refurb of of a council ex council um, flat in London, and um, you know if we'd have got if we'd have got out at, at where we got out. Um, I think we'd have got about know, about ten percent return, and actually they honoured it and gave us like fourteen percent return. So they didn't have to do that, mm -hmm. and I think that said a lot about the people and mm -hmm. a lot about the way they do business. And again, I still do business with both of those people, and they are still very good friends. Very good. And and what what's the uh, at what point uh, did you realise you you'd made a good choice in terms of this is what I'm doing at a high level. So what, um, like you're, you, you've, you've come out of a, 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 like a tough old period. Yeah. Uh, you've been locked around physically, uh, health-wise. Yeah. Uh, and you, you've come again, you, you're starting to do uh, uh, projects, investments, you're, you're widening your both knowledge, your networks, your range of things that you're, you're trying out range of methods of investing yeah um, and, and and were you enjoying all this exactly like like that's my measure you know again i think it's principle three three for me is make making money fun once you've had you know like health challenges or you've you know literally you know kind of had that you know park two years of my life i'm just like I'm not going there. I'm not going there again. I'm, I'm only going to do what gives me energy, what lights me up with people that I resonate with, with people that I enjoy working with. And I, I don't, I don't know, you know, if you want to call it luck or, or I don't know, but I managed to kind of like find those pockets of people mm -hmm. within property. And I, you know, I, I, I still do do, you know, we know a lot of the same, Adam knows one that we've mentioned already. Yep. Um, you know, we do the, the Sunday um, specials with uh, Ross, Jay and Piotr as well. And I just, that again is a highlight of my week because they just have so much knowledge. They're lovely people. They do mm -hmm. right by people and they're very generous with their time and their, their knowledge and their information. Mm -hmm. And you're you're involved in um, uh, like I, I it's only in the last I'd say eighteen months or so uh, that that I would have started being aware of your public presence. Yeah. Uh, so you're in Property Sisters. You're you're in, involved in uh, a TV venture as well. Uh, yes. So before. Um, is a property elevator TV? Is that the yes? Yeah, yeah, the TV stuff as well. Yeah. So before lockdown, I was very under the radar. I was over here most of the time in Malta, and you know, happily trying to be as passive as I can manage to be. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started getting asked to do some kind of talks at some kind of you know property events network and events, trainings, and things. Yeah. 
Yeah, not so trainers, but kind of meetings because not many people were speaking about the investors' perspective. So yes. lots of developers doing lots of trainers talk about education, but mm-hmm. but there was nobody giving like, well, here's what a private investor was looking for. And I thought, oh, here is where I can actually add some value and help mm-hmm. people out. Um, so I started doing that. And then, yes, we put together um, Property Sisters for were women, mainly developers, although we've got a bit of everybody in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Carolina, uh, Claire Norwood, Ruth mm-hmm. Hobbs and myself. So we started that and we started, you know, just a non-profit kind of community for women to be able to ask questions because even that very first property meet that I turned up at myself. And and you, you can be found at Property Sisters? Um, oh. Yes, Property Sisters UK. The, we've got a YouTube channel. Yeah. So uh, we took a bit, a bit of a break over summer, but uh, we'll be doing some more videos. There. So we try and, and it's not just kind of about property; it's about kind of business as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ran a lot of stuff over lockdown, kind of helping the the um, like the women in in the group there, but also like creating like a forum, a, a community for women to be able to ask questions. Because even with my background in banking on the trading floor, even I felt intimidated at that very first meet. So mm-hmm. we wanted to be able to provide that. Uh, and and you're obviously uh, featured in uh, Property Investor News. Uh, as yes. Another- yeah, so um, this year I've been writing a monthly, nearly every month, a monthly article for Richard Bowser's magazine. And I love doing that because you know, as you said, like over the, you know, gosh, yes, 18 months, two years, I started kind of more social media stuff because I realized that I do have a kind of a different insight, something to bring. I, and there's a lot of lessons from banking and that risk, that mm-hmm. way of looking at mm-hmm. risk that I think are applicable and valuable in property. So I write, yeah, I write a lot about risk and investor relations and um, yeah, all, all types of stuff. Richard and then as you said as well we've got the um the property elevator the tv show we've uh, just shown the third series of that I was involved in series two and three and that's kind of a dragon's den type idea where developers come and pitch for funding in their projects and mm-hmm. it can be anything, anything from kind of a small flip. We had um, in the first series I was involved with, like a, um, a father and daughter looking at a bungalow to flip mm-hmm. right up to, you know, a really big experienced developer. We had Emmanuel from Broadwing mm-hmm. come and pitch a really big, sizable project down in Croydon. So um, mm-hmm. we get the whole spectrum on there and we're um, we're going to film another, we're going to film series four in 2022. So please come and apply for that. Fantastic. So, um, uh, Helen Chorley, this is Your Property World. Um, I'm Will Mallard and another episode of My Property World podcast. Helen, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. 
We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.